Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. My name is Jeff, and I am happy that you have uh, chosen to tune in today. And uh, we're grateful for all of those of you that are listening, those of you that have reached out to us to talk about how God is using the podcast in your life, and those of you that are connected to our broader ministry at Transforming Truth. We're just grateful to be able to connect with people Um, in the things that pertain to the kingdom of God and more specifically to the king himself, Jesus Christ. And uh, you're probably one of those people who is really, really pursuing the Lord. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably trying to pursue the Lord um, as a person who is not willing to settle for status quo Christianity, not willing to settle for religion um, that poses as um, those who follow the 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 Son of God, Jesus Christ, and uh, you are probably not interested in figuring out, you know, what's the lowest common denominator of Christianity so I can connect myself to that. Uh, Typically, the people that are partnering with us and listening and receiving from uh, Mavericks and Misfits are people who are just really kind of fed up with the current level of manifestation of uh, Christianity. Uh, primarily in the United States of America, but not limited to the USA, um, just everywhere. And we are people that um, are not trying to figure out, you know, what is the norm? We're actually bucking the norm and we're saying, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. I don't want some marketed prepackaged version of the kingdom of God. I want everything and I don't want it to be bound in by 21st century Western standards. I want the power of the Holy Ghost. I want the authority of the Word of God. I want the Rhema Word in addition to the Logos Word. I want the written Word in addition to the prophetic Word. And Lord, please help me to find a tribe where I don't have to um, pick between my Bible and the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what we're about. And so if you're listening for the first time, we welcome you. We encourage you to avail yourself of previous episodes. And today I want to kind of zero in on something that's just burning in my heart. Uh, I've entered a season of transition personally in ministry, beginning a new work um, at the church at Winder. Um, My first Sunday will be this coming Sunday. And uh, I'm extremely excited about it, but it is a transitional work and I'm burning on the inside uh, to be able to share with my new spiritual family uh, what the Lord is really churning inside of me and burning inside of me. And right now I'm thinking primarily on finishing well. I'm not an old man, but I'm no longer a kid anymore. And I am thinking about the return of the Son of God to this planet where he's going to visibly establish his kingdom. He's going to rule and reign. There's going to be a glorious time where we, the children of God, will rule and reign with Jesus. But everything that we're doing, hear me on this, everything that we're doing right now in this life is preparing our capacity to experience him in the kingdom. Um, Everything in the kingdom is connected to how we are living right now. 
when I say everything in the kingdom, I'm talking about our capacity to rule and reign with Christ, the rewards that we, we receive, the authority that we have in the coming kingdom, um, the domain that is assigned to us. And I don't have time to unpack all of this scripturally, but I want you to know, and you can research it yourself. When you study the parables of Jesus, when you study the teachings of Jesus, when you study the New Testament epistles, you're going to find out that Christians are rewarded for how we lived our lives, that everything's not equal in the kingdom. Everybody doesn't get the same trophy. That's not the way it works in the kingdom, that literally we are individuals who are right now determining um, the capacity at which we operate in the kingdom and the eternal state. And so it actually really, really matters how we live. And we have never been closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than we are right now. And the church needs to wake up. Christians, we just need to wake up and quit playing around and recognize there is an intense urgency on how we live. Now, we're not supposed to operate in fear and dread and, oh, no, I got to scramble to make things happen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying you've got to prioritize what world you belong to, the coming world, the coming kingdom, or the little K world or the little K kingdom of, of right now with the pursuits of the, the spirit of the age. And so I've been in First Thessalonians 5, and First Thessalonians 5 is an interesting, especially verses 11 through 24. If you've got a Bible nearby, you might want to just open it up, First Thessalonians chapter 5, um, and verses 11 through 24 is a long list of instructions from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, and he's telling them, hey, here's how you need to be prioritizing your life right now. Here's some things that you need to be doing as believers, and you need to do them consistently. Now, why is this important? Because, I mean, there's lots of lists of instructions found in Scripture about how we're supposed to live. But what is unique about 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 11 through 24, is that the previous, I don't know, 15 to 20 verses, even going back into the previous chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, the context is very clearly the return of Jesus Christ, the coming day of the Lord. So if you go back into 1 Thessalonians 4, you're going to find out that he starts talking about the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. And then, I mean, some of the most intense prophetic uh, verses about the second coming are given in 1 Thessalonians 4 and the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 5. And you can go back and read those verses. But and then he says, he transitions after saying, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, get ready, get ready, get ready. And then he immediately goes to, now here's how you're supposed to live. In light of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, here is how you're supposed to live. And so I've been pondering these verses, and I just felt prompted of the Spirit of God to share with you today instructions for living in light of the second coming. And so I, these are right now words. These are inscripturated words, but they're right now words. This is some of what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church right now, because personally, my personal belief is that the second coming is not too far off. I believe that Jesus will return to this planet during my lifetime, and I'm 50 years old. And so, you know, at the most, if that's true, <laughs> he's going to be coming in the next 50 years because I probably won't make it to 100 um, and so I want to look at these verses. And so I'm not, I'm not going to go deep into all of these, but I'm going to prime your pump, man. If you're listening, I want you to listen with faith. I want you to say, this is for me. This is not some tomorrow word. This is not some put it off until a more convenient season word. This is a right now word 
for the church. And we've got to pull our head, extract your head from the sand, look at what's going on around you and recognize, man, we're not playing around with this stuff that we have a limited time. The clock is ticking on how much longer we have to live in such a way that it generates glory for Jesus in this life right now. And it also stores up reward and in, enlarges our capacity in the kingdom. And so, I, I listen, Jesus talked a lot about rewards. And the church has got this false sense of humility where we don't want to talk about rewards because after all, isn't it just a, <clears throat> pardon me, isn't it just enough of a reward to be walking with Jesus now? Well, the answer to that is no. Yes, it's rewarding to walk with Jesus now, but that's not what all, that's not all of what Jesus said. Jesus pointed us towards the kingdom. He talked a ton about rewards and he called us into accountability and he sobered us by, by calling us constantly to live for the kingdom that is coming, to store up treasure in heaven. And so the idea that, well, we're just, it's all good if we just kind of, you know, serve the Lord now, there's our reward. Well, Jesus didn't teach that. Neither did the Apostle Paul, neither did the Apostle John, neither did the Apostle Peter. That's not a biblical statement to adopt a false sense of humility. We are to live right now in light of the coming day of reckoning by, in which rewards will be given. And those rewards determine your capacity in the kingdom. So the person who's saved but not living for the Lord now, you've got very little waiting for you in the kingdom. You're going to get into heaven and, and that's it. But for those of you that are sacrificing now and denying yourself now and storing up treasure for yourself in heaven now by refusing to live for treasure on earth now, you have great promise of reward if we finish in faith. And so let's look at these kind of exhortations. I won't go through all of them, but again, 1 Thessalonians 5 is a long list of instructions and, and exhortations and challenges in our Bible for us to live in a certain way as we approach the end of the age. And so the first thing that Paul says to them is that in verses 11 through 14, he's basically saying, you've got to live with hearts that are full of honor, full of honor towards other people. That's an actual end times instruction. He says, encourage one another, build up one another. He goes on in verses 12 and 13. He says, respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then in verse 13, he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. So right there, I mean, boom, 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 boom. In context, as we approach the end of the age, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write down for all of the coming generations of Christians, in light of the coming of the end of the age, you should be encouraging one another, building up one another, respecting one another. <clears throat> pardon me, especially those that labor among you. And then he highlights those that are over you in the Lord, those that are your spiritual leaders. He says, respect them, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So one of the things that we see as we approach the end of the age, there is in our culture right now, even among Christians, Christians are tearing each other apart. They're, they're, I mean, they're literally, it's almost anarchy. Rebelling against spiritual authority, godly spiritual authority, a, a, you know, assigned spiritual authority, the delegated spiritual authority that we find in scripture. And then that, that issue of encouraging one another and build one another up. That's not just, you know, for leaders and stuff. That's for all of us. 
that as in light of the second coming, quit tearing each other down and start building each other up. Quit discouraging one another and start encouraging one another. And then down in verse 14, he's saying, hey, when your hearts are full of honor, I'm urging you to admonish those, to challenge those, to correct those who are idle, those who are just lazy and apathetic and those that are ho-humming their way through this Christian life. In light of the second coming, we're supposed to admonish one another, especially if somebody is idle or you know, just kind of flaking out on the Lord or backsliding or just kind of apathetic towards the kingdom. We're supposed to challenge each other and we are to encourage the faint hearted. That means those that are strugglers and those that aren't as strong and those that are a little timid and maybe a little fearful, we're to encourage them. We're actually to honor them by pouring encouragement into them. And that's over a long period of time. You don't just, you know, throw a tweet out or, you know, send a, you know, one-time text, hey, I'm encouraging you today, but you actually go after them until they're no longer faint-hearted. And it's <laughs> Paul writes, help the weak. Help them. Come alongside of them. You, you see what's, what he's saying? He's, he's saying, I want you guys to honor one another. As, and it's, again, it's in the context of the second coming. All the verses proceeding are about Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And then verse 11 starts with, therefore, because Jesus is coming, encourage one another, build one another up, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, esteem them very highly in love because of the work that they do. Um, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help those that are weak. And then he says, and be patient with everybody. Guys, that's, those, are, those are commands in Scripture. Those aren't options. This is what we're supposed to be doing at the end of the age relationally. It's not just about praying. It's not just about um, you know, preaching. It's not just about you know, doing missions and things like that and all those great things. But as we approach the end of the age, the microscope draws in pretty close and says, hey, let me talk to you about your relationships with each other, Christians, that you guys are needing to take care of each other and pour into each other's lives. And so it's, it's not just about hearts full of honor, but as you move forward in the first Thessalonians chapter five, you're going to see it's also hearts being freed up in Christ, hearts that are freed in Christ. And, and what am I talking about? Well, in verse 15, it says, see that nobody repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everybody. I love that. In light of the second coming, Paul says, here's what you need to be doing. Make sure you never give in to the spirit of vengeance. Never enter into a lifestyle of payback. Never spend your days kind of rehearsing in your mind how you can get even and square things up with those that maybe have done you wrong. That is an illegal move for kingdom people. Kingdom people don't sit around with vindictiveness, with vengeance, with you know, hours spent on thinking about how to get even. That's not who we are. And in light of the second coming, you don't want to be found with that kind of heart. So we don't repay people evil for evil, but we always seek to do good to one another. And that's speaking specifically for Christians to Christians. Seek good to do, <laughs> seek to do good one to another. It means prioritize showing goodness within the body of Christ. Guys, I'm going to tell you, the nonsense on social media, the nonsense of, of, of whole entire denominations right now. Listen, I'm just going to call it for what it is. The Southern Baptist um, Convention, uh, they're killing each other 
on online media, on social media. They are cannibalizing one another. We can't do that. Whether you're a Southern Baptist or a Charismatic or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian, that doesn't matter to me. What I'm saying is if we have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, we are all one. We differ in some views, but we are one. We are brothers and sisters. We are forever family. And the Bible says stop thinking about repaying one another evil for evil, tweet for tweet, face, face hook for face hook, you know, stop, stop Instagramming, you know, your pride and your, you know, bitterness towards other people. Just stop it. Guys, listen, you don't have to have a hundred spiritual gifts to stop being nasty to one another. And in the positive, it says, you know, seek to do good to one another. Take all that energy and figure out how you can bless those that are in the body of Christ. And then he goes on, it's, you know, talking about being free from that bitterness and free hearts freed in Christ so that we're not repaying evil for evil, but also being freed up in Christ to worship and to pray. He says, rejoice always. This is like verses 16 and 17 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. So in light of the return of Jesus Christ, we are to rejoice more and we are to pray more. The, the pray without ceasing is just kind of one of the most glossed over commands in Scripture. And so as the people of God, we are to be intercessors in our generation. We're to be intercessors for the second coming. We're to be saying like the Apostle John did at the end of the book of Revelation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And don't just say, well, he's going to come when he's going to come. No, John prayed, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And John had better theology than you and me combined. And he was praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't come in John's day, and he hasn't come in the 2,000 years since then. And But we've stopped praying about it. You see, when you pray for the Lord to return, it keeps you connected to the reality that he's going to return. And we pray without ceasing, not only about his return, but about all the things in life. Man, we pray over our problems. We pray over our needs. We pray over our dreams. We pray over our visions. We pray through prophetic words. We intercede for the sick and the, and the dying and the afflicted and the persecuted. There's so many things we can pray about, but a lot of people just are you know, very undisciplined in this approach. And yet, according to Scripture, at the end of the age, we are to be praying without ceasing as we rejoice always. Rejoice. And again, I say unto you, rejoice. Rejoice evermore. Now, there's, you have to fight for your joy in our generation. The joy doesn't come easy. You have to fight for joy. And your joy is always rooted in Jesus. And the more that you pray without ceasing, the more you're going to be aware of what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is and the promises that he made. And so it's that rejoicing and praying that keeps your heart free, free in your generation, not to get bogged down with all the nasty that's out here. And then you see in verse 18, you've got this freedom to prioritize gratitude. I mean, can you believe this, that instructions at the end of the age are talking about being nice to each other? These, these are Bible commands. And, and we, we make the second coming so much about, you know, awe and just mind-blowing. And, uh, and we keep it at, at 400,000 feet high. And when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he's, he's bringing it down to grassroots level, shoe leather Christianity. And so he says, give thanks in every circumstance. And then he adds this, this is the will of God, for this is the will of God for you, to give thanks in every circumstance. Can, can I just ask us this as the body of Christ? I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to rebuke me and I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to rebuke anybody that will receive this because we need it. We are unthankful. We are a bunch of unthankful Christians. We, we are constantly obsessed with who's done us wrong and how things aren't going our way and what we're owed and what we think we're entitled to. Do you know how unprepared we are for Jesus Christ to come back? He'll look us in the eye and say, I gave you everything. I gave you myself. I sacrificed my life. I laid down. I shed the blood on the cross. I experienced the wrath of the Father. I drank the fullness of the cup of the wrath of God. And you're telling me you have a right to complain and that's your lifestyle, a lifestyle of self-focus. Man, we are not ready for the second coming. So these commands kind of awaken us. They're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be the complainer. I'm not supposed to be the, the man or the woman that is self-focused. I'm not supposed to be, you know, grousing over everything that, that, that's been taken from me. Instead, we're to give thanks. Have, did you thank God that you're saved? Can you do that right now? Can you thank God that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that your name is recorded in the book of salvation for all of the ages? Can you, can you be thankful that he sent the gospel to you? Can you be thankful that you got a copy of the word of God that people died so you could have in your language? Can you be thankful that you have the ability to listen today and you have the ability to um you know, walk in the light of the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've got the family of God. You've got, you know, a roof over your head, a shirt on your back, food in your stomach if you're not fasting. And, and, and you have everything that you need. And yet we're buying into the spirit of the age that says, no, I'm entitled to more. Somebody owes me something and I need to get my pound of flesh. I, I am owed. That is an antichrist spirit. And so instead of that, we are to be giving thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in your difficulty. You don't have to thank him for the problems necessarily, but if the problems are leading to greater glory for him in your life and greater depth in your spiritual character, then go ahead and thank him for the circumstances that are painful and problematic. You see, guys, we can take ownership of our Christian experience, but we have to be intentional about it. We got to have our hearts freed up to forgive people and to worship and to pray and rejoice and to be thankful. Those are commands at the end of the age in light of the second coming. Now we get into some nitty gritty around verse 19. Again, First Thessalonians 5. Verse 19 just gives this very succinct command. Do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecy. Verse 21, test everything, hold fast to that which is good. So as we approach the end of the age, we're also given commands concerning our attitudes and our disposition to the Holy Spirit, to the gift of prophecy, and to the act of discerning prophetically what is right and what is true. Oh, wow, this is important. Don't quench the Spirit. It's a command. You see, we, we have two negative commands concerning the Holy Spirit found in Scripture. We have don't grieve the spirit and don't quench the spirit. I would tell you that grieving the spirit is to oppose who he is. You grieve his heart. The Holy Spirit has emotion. The Holy Spirit is not some unanimate life force. The Holy Spirit is God. And God feels and God thinks and God acts and God decides. And we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But we can grieve him by coming up against who he is and acting in ways that oppose who he is as God. But we can also quench him. Quenching is less about who he is and quenching is about what he does. The fire of his power, the fire of his movement, the fire of his um, you know, purification. 
And so we're commanded in the light of the context that Jesus is coming soon, we're commanded to stop quenching the Holy Spirit. So in the positive, it would be purpose to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and don't quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're supposed to cooperate and actually throw fuel on the fire of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And the quenching means don't put out the flame. And, and it's amazing to me that, that you and I have to cooperate with the Lord and we can actually douse the flame of what omnipotent, almighty, sovereign God is doing in our lives. We have the ability to quench that flame, to snuff out the flame of, of, of the fire that God wants to start through us, in us, and for us. And specifically, it comes in this area of not despising prophecy. You know, the prophetic word is important. As we're thinking about the end of the age, the prophetic word is very, very important. Prophecy is a massive gift, and a whole section of Christianity just blows off prophecy as if it's not a valid gift when the Word of God reveals it to be the gift we should pursue the most. And so, unfortunately, because prophecy is often handled by immature and undiscerning and undisciplined Christians, a lot of people have said, man, I'm so sick of the prophetic word. I'm so sick of people getting prophecies wrong. I'm so sick of casual prophecies that are thrown around and tossed about recklessly that do damage. Hey, guess what? I am sick of all that stuff too, but I'm not so sick of the bad that I'm going to toss out the good with it. And so we are to test everything. That's what verse 21 says. Test the prophetic word. Test it against the authority of the word. Test it by the fruit of it. Test it based on the credibility of the person offering the prophecy. If a person's getting prophetic words wrong all the time, they clearly aren't operating in the gift of prophecy. You can't be operating in the gift of prophecy and get it wrong all the time or even most of the time. And unfortunately, because people are so careless with prophetic words that when it's still a spark in their heart, presumably prophetic people take that spark and they 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 just release it. I'm like, no, don't release it when it's a spark. Let it be a full flame when you know what God is saying. Don't give in to the impulse of just releasing it because you get this prophetic nudge and all of a sudden you're speaking words that aren't prayed through, they aren't thought through, they aren't submitted to the word of God and you end up releasing an incomplete or an, uh, um, an unprofitable prophetic word that's not a prophetic word. It's just some idea you had because you didn't steward it right. And when people do that around you, Listen, you can't write off all prophetic ministry because some people got it wrong. You have to test it. And the Bible says, hold fast to that which is good. So you hold to the uh, um, authoritative, the um, honorable prophetic word. You hold to that. You believe it. You don't quench the spirit by rejecting it. At the end of the age, we've got to have our hearts guided by the Holy Spirit, friends. You can't, you can't be casual or dismissive about the role of the Holy Spirit. We're going to need him more clearly <laughs> in days coming than we've ever thought we've needed him in days past. We've always needed him, but when we are completely plundered from the things that we have unfortunately learned to rely on, when those things are taken from the church and all you've got left is a, a group of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's coming soon, and we don't have our church buildings, we don't have our service times, we don't have, you know, the cooperation of the culture or the government allowing us, you know, to f worship freely and spread the gospel. All that stuff's going to be removed. That day is coming before Jesus returns. Globally, there will be an intense persecution against the church of the living God. And all we're going to have is our understanding of the written word and then the release of the prophetic word. And we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit and signs, wonders, and miracles accompanying that. That's all we're going to have. We're not going to have cool church stages. We're not going to have social media. We're not going to have all the stuff 
that composes ministry today, where it's going to actually be returned to almost a first century dynamic where we've got apostolic doctrine, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have nothing else because we won't need anything else. But if we're walking around despising prophecy as we approach the end of the age and we're, we're rejecting the prophetic word and we're not cultivating the prophetic word and holding to the true prophetic word, then guys, we are not ready for Jesus to come. In the last couple of minutes, let me just take a couple of extra minutes here. Um, I love what verses 22, 23, and 24 do because they bring us back into the idea of the second coming. I mean, again, 1 Thessalonians 4, the middle to the end of the chapter, it's all about the second coming. Second coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. The opening verses of 1 Thessalonians 5, Jesus is coming, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready. The wrath of God is going to hit planet Earth. You've got to get ready. You've got to be prepared. We've got to be uh, walking in the Spirit. You've got to be faithful. And then all these verses we're going through just telling us what to do. And so as we approach the end of the age, the last couple of verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, they, they really teach us how to have hearts that are hungry for the second coming. It involves sanctification. It involves practical holiness. It says abstain, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. You, follower of Jesus, intentionally abstain from every form of evil. It's a command. It's not even complicated. But it takes your diligence and your commitment and to come out of a compromise, some days I'm behaving, some days I'm not. To come out of an idea that you can pick and choose when you want to walk in holiness. No, that's not what it means to be a Christian living at the end of the age. We abstain. We say no to every form of evil. And then that, the next statement is, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That your whole spirit and soul and body is kept blameless. Do you see the intensity of that? Guys, listen to me. At the end of the age, which we're living in, as, as Jesus Christ is going to return, I'm getting convicted just reading the words of Scripture. I'm getting convicted about the need for, in my own life to deepen in this. But it says, abstain from every form of evil. Cooperate with God as he sanctifies you completely. And in case we wonder what that means, Paul says it. He says, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your body, let it be kept blameless as we approach the end of the age. So sanctification reveals a heart that is hungry for the second coming. Listen, if you're a worship leader, if you're an intercessor, if you're a pastor, if you're a prophet, if you're a teacher, if you're a leader in the kingdom, or if you're none of those things, but you are consider yourself a kingdom citizen, if you, the way to know if you're really serious and if you really believe what the Bible says about the end of the age and the second coming, the easiest way to do it is ask yourself, is my life sanctified under that? Am I consecrated under that? Because if you're playing around with sin, if you're casual about morality, if you are not possessing your whole spirit, soul, body in sanctification, then I don't care if you're a worship leader, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, a head of a ministry, a seminary dean, or you know, a big-time Christian who's got a large platform. If you're not walking in sanctification, there's, a, and there's an element of fraudulence in your life. You're not what you say that you are, and it's time to repent because Jesus is coming soon. And Jesus doesn't care how many followers you have on social media. 
And Jesus doesn't care about how cool you are, how talented you are, how gifted you are. If you're not walking in sanctification and cooperating with the Son of God who sanctifies you and you're not abstaining from every form of evil and you're not keeping yourself blameless, then you've got to repent. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And we anticipate that. That's what verse 23 says. It says, do all of this so that you'll be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the deadline. Guys, that's the finish line. You've got to keep the finish line in mind. Jesus is coming and it's over when he comes. It's over. You don't have any chances after that to shore up what was lacking. You don't have a chance. There's no do-overs when Jesus returns. This is your time to do it well, to do it right. Say, well, Jeff, that sounds legalistic to me. Well, it's not legalistic. It's Bible. I'm sorry that it sounds legalistic to some people that might hear it, but I'm not being unfaithful to the original intent of the scripture. The original intent of the scripture was very sobering. It's Jesus is coming soon. Stop playing around. And then, lest we despair, last thought here, lest we despair, verse 24 says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So what does that mean? It means you're not on your own. You're not out of time yet. You're not supposed to just figure this out and try to you know, operate in all this stuff in your own power. The one who called you into salvation, the one who called you into the kingdom, the one who called you by name, the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who rose for you, the one who is coming again for you, he's faithful. He's not done with you yet. He's not quit on you. Don't you quit on him. Don't you give in to despair. Don't you operate in shame and guilt for you know failures in the past. This is a right now word. He's saying right now, I, the faithful one, am calling you to walk in the identity I've given you because I'm coming again and I want you to be blameless when I come again. And then the scripture says he will surely do it. So it removes all doubt. He's ready to help. He's ready to cooperate with you. He's not scolding you. He's, he's challenging you. He's, he's calling you out of a lukewarm life. He's calling you out of a lesser than kingdom experience. And he's saying, I'm coming again and I want you to be ready and I'm going to help you do it. What I begin, I finish. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Say yes to Jesus today. And let's step more deeply into these instructions, instructions for the end of the age. Hey, my time's gone. Actually, I went a little bit longer than I probably normally do. And, and I'm just grateful that you've borne with me. I hope you've been inspired and challenged. Hope you didn't turn it off or turn a deaf ear. If you made it all the way to the end of this podcast, I applaud you because it was challenging, but you've got to walk this stuff out. It's not, nothing else is going to matter. When Jesus Christ returns, nothing else is going to matter. You're going to look him in the eye and you're going to be so glad that you laid down everything in this life, that you denied yourself, that you said yes to holiness, yes to the power of the Spirit, yes to the Word of God, no to the culture, no to the sins of the age, no to your flesh, no to the temptations, and no to that stinking, rotten serpent who is the devil, whose head is going to be crushed under the mighty foot of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When he comes to this world, it's going to happen. The serpent's head will be crushed, and God will crush him right now in your life right now if you'll say yes my time's gone we'll see you next time god bless thank you for listening to today's mavericks and misfits podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe rate and review mavericks and misfits with jeff lyle on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of jesus and don't forget you can connect with jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com 
We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode. <laughs>